Welcome to this edition of Alistair's Coffee and Coaching. <laughs> I'm going to try and edit that last little bit off of there. Obviously it is live, so I'm expecting people to turn up at any point. So um, if I get diverted off by them, we'll discuss what comes up in the live. But in the meantime, today I'm going to talk about becoming a father. And I'm going to talk quite openly and quite candidly like I do in all of my talks um, but I'm going to try and keep this one as a you know, quite a process um, so from the beginning sort of growing up my expectations of what I thought a father and a dad needed to be um, wanting to create that family and then what happens when the baby's here bringing the baby home I'm on about and then sort of how I was during the birth and things like that um, what about when they're kids and they're sort of at school and stuff? My role in that, I've got a funny story. I know a funny story about that, actually. Uh, I'll write a note and I can come back to that when we get to that topic. Um, and then I'm going to come on to uh, what happens in a divorce um, and my experience as a, as a dad through the divorce. Um, and then being kept away from my kids um, because of that divorce. I'm then going to talk about um, being a step parent and kids now. Now I've reconnected with my kids. Um, how things are now. I don't know what just pinged then. <clears throat> Something exciting on there. Um, so, yeah, I hope you stick around. I hope you join me. Um, like I say, if you're watching live, please feel free to comment. Um, this is all in the hope of starting a conversation more than anything else um, there's so many places out there getting us blokes to talk um, we sort of men's mental health something I take very seriously um, I was on a podcast earlier with some friends um, on their podcast called dads lads and kebabs and they we were talking about similar topics um, what it's like to be a bloke nowadays and that's kind of what I want to cover in my my vlogs Right, let's have a little bit of coffee, have a breather. <clears throat> so like I say, we're going to talk about fatherhood. Potentially a pretty tricky subject. Contentious. Contentious, that was a good word from the side there, yeah. Um, another quick note, just before I get into this, is this will be the last video that I will be doing live on Facebook everything has now migrated over onto uh, my youtube channel and all previous podcasts are on there and then this one will be on there uh, probably from about tomorrow or so so if you want to keep in contact with myself and the, this kind of content then you kind of need to go over to youtube <laughs> because that's where i'm going to be by next wednesday this page will be gone and so will my facebook page I'm completely withdrawing from Facebook. Doesn't serve my purpose. Um, so I'm coming away from that. So like I said, if you want to continue following me, that's excellent. I'd like you to. But it will be done through YouTube. Um, apparently, I can share a link from there onto Twitter. So I may well put them on Twitter as well. But I don't know yet. YouTube's going to be the, the focus um, and the platform that I sort of want to use for this vlog going forward as people say <laughs> right let's get into it my ideas of being a dad come from not having a dad 
as a kid around. Um, he was there in the early stages, but he left when I was six. Then he was a muck dad for a bit. And then my mum moved to Scotland. Um, for all the details on that, you need to see previous video. I think that's in video number two, I think. But for the time being, we're going to talk about what my expectations. So because of my experience as a, as a child, as a boy, growing up in a dadless family, um, I just had my maternal mum and my grandma in the end that was my parents. So not having a father around as a kid meant I needed to break that cycle. The other aspect of this was, in my head, my mum's marriage had broken down. My auntie's marriage had broken down. My uncle's marriage had broken down. Everybody on that side of the family, their marriages were just falling apart all the time. So I wanted to break that cycle. Funny enough, if you looked at the other side of the family, <laughs> the marriages are all pretty solid, pretty sound, which is yeah, just something to note, I suppose. Um, so I had an idea that I wanted to break this cycle. I wanted to be that guy that grows old with the person he picked as the mother of his kids and you have all the stories and the photo albums and everything that goes with it all of that stuff that was my ideal so as a teenager i i wasn't a a lad that messed about a lot it, it wasn't what i was interested in i wanted to form a relationship i wanted to build a family and i knew that quite early on in my teens because I wanted to break that cycle. So a wind the clock forward a bit. We now get to the point where I moved to England um, and it just happened to be that the first person I met um, was my first wife and everything was going well. We moved to Scotland, I'd got work up there. Um, everything was kind of moving forward. So you, we're having those responsible conversations about having kids we've got a house there i've got a job there it was all kind of going as far as we could see according to plan so we try for a baby and relatively quickly <laughs> it happened and that's when she changed her mind didn't want to be in scotland um didn't want to have a conversation about it just moved back to england and I kind of get it, I understood it, and I could see why it was the right decision and the sensible decision for her to do. It, however, left me completely in the lurch, 500 odd miles away from my pregnant missus. So, Jesus, so now what do we do? So I then had to tie up all the loose ends where I was and make tracks to get back down here and then set up again. I've got to get another job, I've got to try and get a house or a place to stay. <coughs> excuse me so the, the whole process kind of just <clears throat> as far as i could see hit a massive roadblock where it was like right now we've got a baby on the way but everything else is out of uh, kilter if you get what i mean you can see what i mean yeah i hope you've all got your coffee because it is coffee and coaching um So yeah, so we get everything set up. Um, so that pressure is on again. We get, like I said, we get things sorted. Um, baby number one arrives. I was a very interacted, 
interactive if you like father i'm not squeamish when it comes to the childbirth i was in the room involved helping as best as i could um whether that just be sort of fielding information between the parties between the midwives and her um but yeah i was involved i found it, it was massively important to me that i cut the umbilical cord um i was amazed by the whole process of birth in the simple fact that that human being grew another human being inside i was amazed by this and at that point i decided that for me the meaning of life was the creation of life and that was quite a serious thing to consider if you can create something from effectively nothing and give something energy then yeah it, it, that to me became what i passed as the meaning of life was that creation of life and then the sanctity of how important that life is and that was all great and i'm floating along i'm happy fathery kind of euphoric kind of logic and it's all brilliant and we're taking photos and everybody's happy and then you get home and everybody breathes and then the baby cries and <laughs> cries some more and then the real kind of routine start then the real the psychology then about being a dad suddenly kicks in that now this person is completely dependent on us for survival completely 100 percent, nothing it can do for itself and i found that really difficult i'm not going to lie i found it bloody hard being a person that kind of likes to work stuff out so you kind of see the problem <clears throat> help the person out done so in my head i'd got like a tick sheet of if the baby cries kind of put food in one end clean the other end soothe and see if there's anything kind of that was that was it kind of logic hungry dirty cold kind of just a simple tick sheet of the potential things that <laughs> might not be right with this person that can't speak to me and i couldn't figure it out because i'd go through the tick sheet and the baby would still cry or it'd go quiet for a bit and then it would cry and i'm like you can't surely be hungry now or you can't you surely you've not pooed your nappy already that, that doesn't make any sense they're the only things i can think of in my mind and it got to a point where it properly stressed me out i couldn't pick the baby up without becoming really over emotional because i didn't know what the baby required from me and i always i kind of felt like i was left in the dark as far as because the mother seemed to get fine it was just plug it in there it goes the baby was happy it was quiet but with me it was different um and it got to a point where it stressed me out it started to fit my criteria of this is a mental health thing this is something in my head and i need to talk to somebody about it um so i did i spoke to the doctors it was a laborious fucking process as you can imagine because it was the nhs um it took time to do in the meantime i'd got some information and then when i spoke to my doctor uh, we both agreed well he diagnosed it and i kind of agreed it was a paternal postnatal depression 
which I'd not heard of at the time, and I'm not 100% certain it's an actual term that properly exists. Um, but it was so much like the postnatal depression that was described for ladies, it kind of made sense in a backward sort of way. And once I knew what was going on, and I'd read some of those things, I then instigated um, like cuddle time with the baby, like skin on skin, relaxed time, and tried to kind of stop thinking about what the baby needed and just feel what the environment felt like, relaxed and calm, or if she was up and she was kind of crying, not allowing her mood <laughs> to manipulate mine. I'm the parent and I was kind of being controlled by a baby. So we kind of go, yeah, all right, it's ruined my routine. Part of the frustration is, oh, I was trying to watch that on TV. And you know, we've got stuff we're trying to do. And then a baby cries or it needs something. And I kind of juggled that around in my head for a little while until I kind of worked out that I could just take the kid with me. So I would put, I had a papoose, I think it's called a papoose thing. I used to put Leah in that, just walk around with it. I'd do the hoovering. I'd do whatever I needed to do. I'd just be, I'd have her stuck to my front until she chilled out. And then it kind, you kind of figure it out. Is the I can't sort of say there was an epiphany moment where I thought, oh, there we go, that's the answer. It isn't. It just slowly got more comfortable. Um, because like I've said in other videos, I'm scared of people being dependent on me. I don't think I'm a particularly dependable person. Um, so for, to have a child dependent on me, it was scary. It was scary. It still is. <laughs> because they, they're still my kids. Um, right, let's have a little bit of a coffee. If you're watching this on Facebook while I'm recording it live, hi. Feel free to put a little thumbs up or a heart up the screen. That's always appreciated. If you're watching this on YouTube, a sub, a like, a share, all that jazz, that'd be perfect. Thanks. Right. Then the kids get older and they go to school. By this point, you've kind of formulated a person. <laughs> They're like a prototype. And you send them out into the world and they go to the school. And it's a weird kind of... Again, my brain at the time was, not only have I made a person, I've made a functioning one that's now going to enter the education system. <coughs> I have to say it. <coughs> Again, I was mesmerised by each kind of stage. By this point as well, by the time um, child number one is going to school, um, we've got child number two, which I wasn't as stressed out about. I was equally, I was as involved in the birth um, as I was with the first. And the same principle, I wanted to cut the umbilical cord. I felt that was important. But what I did do, and it doesn't happen nowadays, people have these kind of gender reveal parties and things that go on and do. I didn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't want to know until baby's there until the person arrives and you go ah it's one of those it's only it's a 50 50 so it's gonna be one or the other so we didn't and it was one of them moments where i sort of looked at i was fully expecting a boy because you kind of go it's standard issue girl boy or boy girl i wasn't expecting and when adele turned up it was like oh, you give me another girl and i was like wow we've got two girls <laughs> and then my brain kind of goes 
Holy crap, and I've got two girls. That's that's like three women in the house. And my brain jumped forward years <laughs> in advance. Just in that one moment in the in the maternity ward, I, I bawled my eyes out. But I bawled my eyes out with both my kids because I was so mesmerized by the ability of a person to grow a person. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I know I was involved, but I didn't do all the growing process. I just planted the seed and then sort of left it. <laughs> that was it. I didn't mean that to sound vulgar, but I was kind of, I was trying to unpersonal or you know, sort of the logic. So anyway, yeah. So by this point, um, I'm a little bit more adept. Um, so we get into kind of school age now and like i said you've you've got kind of prototype people that are going to go to the school and their inputs come from you so like i've said before in my videos kids can only paint with the paint can only paint a picture with the palette of paint you've given them so if the ammunition you've given them is to be i don't know arrogant and a battler and, and picking on people then that's that's what they're going to do if they're kind of level-headed nice looking they're, they're, what i'm saying is it's down to the parents it's your by well, the time the kids get to school they're prototypes you've created and that's what we did so kids go off to school and it didn't take long for my eldest Leah to kind of develop a personality all of her own um to the point where she didn't eat for a bit at school and we had to have a sort of conversation about that and that was just because one of the other kids there was snotty um so i got a point totally and agreed with her like move the snotty kid away that's just not cool um then there was the day that she told the teachers that i was a witch <laughs> um i can't remember exactly why it came about <laughs> that it was i was a witch and i read cards I got called into the school to explain, um, so I did, that I am, what of it? And they went, oh, we just thought she was like making up stories. I said, no, 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 it's all pretty much true. I'm not really a witch. It's not what you, I wouldn't class myself as a witch. I said, if we was gonna go down that route, the male version would be a warlock. I said, but I wouldn't class myself as a warlock. I said, I class myself as a medium and a pagan and tarot reader. I said, but that's all. And the teacher was really good about it. So they just thought Leah had come up with some sort of random story <laughs> so <clears throat> so yeah so it's it was the same with both kids they that kind of pride and the sense of being a dad and the reason there's I don't know what the class the difference has between a dad and a father there are only terms that I've ever used when or when I've ever seen when it's on some sort of um dividing line sort of thing um a dad and a father i don't quite see what the difference i think the difference is anybody can be a dad but it takes a man to be a father is an old saying oh is it the other way around i <clears throat> i put more work more value in the word father than i do dad i suppose so perhaps i've perhaps got the wrong way around whichever way around is most important to you but being a being a dad father it's a tricky balance because I never wanted to be the authoritarian in the relationship. I never wanted my ex-wife to say, wait till your dad gets home and I'll tell him. So well, why have I got to be the bastard? If you've got an issue with the kids at the time, tell them at the time. <laughs> Don't wait for me to get in. 
Um, so I never wanted that that role, if you like. Um, I like the fact that, as far as I can see, I think my girls know that I would protect them to my best of my ability, but I also respect them enough to make the right decisions for themselves. But I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit there. Right, let's have a little swig of coffee and then we'll get on to the divorce bit. <clears throat> this is the more tenuous section. Um, oh, one other little point. When my second daughter was being born, Adele, um, in the moment, jokingly, <clears throat> we arrived um, at the maternity ward at about, it was about eight o'clock. And I jokingly said, I forget this all wrapped up. We can get home for nine o'clock for Sky Movies. <clears throat> and it was a joke. Everybody laughed at the time. Later on, when we talk about the divorce, that was actually cited in there as a point that I didn't want to be there. <laughs> it's a way that words get twisted. And I'm not bitter about that at all. But I just thought I'd put, put the record straight and my side of the story across. Um, like I said, this is quite cathartic for me. Um, but it's also to try and help another person. If it only helps one person, I, that grant I'm done, that's cool. I only need to help one person for that person to help one person and that, but for it to just continue, that's how it will go perpetually. Right, let's get into the divorce. Right, divorce, two parents fall apart and don't want to be together anymore and decide that their relationship is not worth saving. One of the parties at that point decides that they're going to be manipulative because divorce is code for battle. It's code for I need to get what I can get while I can get it before I get out of it. It's also code for, oh, what did he do? The assumption is always that the bloke has done something, or it was in my experience. All of this is going to be from my experience, not out there to offend anybody or pee anybody off. All of this is from my experience of going through a divorce. Um, when you get absolutely character assassinated and have the way you've been with your children thrown at you in court as potentially inappropriate, it's enough to destroy a person. And if they haven't got the resilience and the sense of mind to know that what is being said about them is BS, that breaks men down. And I think women know this. And I'm going to say something else that might pee people off. But getting men talking isn't a way of other people getting a way of getting some ammunition for an argument. Getting your husband to open up to you and explain to you what's going on you have to reserve yourself away from judgment of that or encourage them to talk to somebody else where they can get it off their chest without judgment. Um, because when somebody is absolutely throwing everything at you in a divorce and it's a pure character assassination, it's draining. It, it put me on my knees many times. The Boxing Day, I get a letter to say I won't see my kids for the first Christmas since they were born, 2010. I sat for a good hour and a half just crying on the end of the bed. It's like, what do I do? 
I've got all their gifts upstairs, I've got all their presents wrapped, I've got everything ready. The tree is there, the lot. But the two most important bits are not there. And they're not there because of a choice. They're there because of the selfish action of a parent who's supposed to be in a position of caring for those people. Those people prototypes that we're going to put out into the world that we took the responsibility of making together now one party decides that they're done and i just i think that's bang out of order and years ago i seen dads for justice climbing bloody walls and doing all kinds of crap around parliament dressed up as superheroes and where's it got us i don't think it's got us anywhere because there's always a, there's always the assumption of guilt towards men in a relationship breakup there's always an assumption of crappy fatherhood. There's always an assumption that they're not a good dad. It's, it's just far too easy for the law to be manipulated by manipulative people. And there was no intermediary. There was no option for me to do. I had no money for a barrister, nothing. So I had to go and represent myself while I try and sit there across Somebody who's somehow gone bankrupt but can somehow afford a barrister to stand there and basically lawify me into the ground. I'd, what am I supposed to do? I'm fighting a system that doesn't work for me. Every time that the police were involved, I was the one that was suspicious, suspected of guilt. I wasn't allowed back into my own house. I got told by an officer, PC Cousins, that if I went anywhere near my house, he would arrest me. For no reason. But all these people were manipulated at the time by a person. And that stopped me being able to A, see my kids and maintain a normal relationship with them. B, get any kind of family heirlooms back out of the house. A divorce, when one party decides to be nasty, is just vile. I spoke about friends in the previous, I think it was last week's video. That changes around divorce as well. <clears throat> so in a moment when a person really needs friends and help and support, they're nowhere to be seen because everybody's got divorced. Everybody's made a decision on whether which person's right or wrong. And that immediately puts a, this assumption of guilt on the bloke all the time and I think it's it's wrong <clears throat> and that's most of the time I think is why blokes don't speak up and don't talk you know it wasn't until it was thrown into a divorce about me being violent that I pointed out to my sister the solicitor I was like hang on a minute I got stabbed by a fork and my head put through a kitchen door window by said person but I didn't see fit to put that in the divorce because that's not why we're getting divorced. We're getting divorced because the relationship has broken down. But that wasn't good enough either. I had to have the admission of guilt. I had to accept her telling me that I was an adulterer for her to do it or else I'd have had to have fought it for five years and still not seen my kids. So tell me how the system helped me out in any way it didn't. If anything broke me the only thing I could do and the only thought I hung on to was to maintain my own credibility have the resilience and faith and hope 
that at some point my kids would come back to me or I'd get the opportunity to get to them. And that, for the first one, took five years. And it don't get easier every year. Every birthday is a nightmare. Every Christmas is a nightmare. Every Father's Day is just fucking horrible. It's horrible. All because one person wanted to win a war with no moral thought for everybody's, for the effect it would have on everybody within it. We then wind the clock forward another five years. So we're now 10 years after a divorce. And I finally get contact with my youngest daughter. And it, it's heartbreaking because I've missed so much stuff. And I know there's going to be people, I can hear the words in my head because people said it to me all the time. You could have fought, you could have got legal aid, you could have gone to court. The problem is with going to court as a dad, it makes you as the aggressor. You are ne I tried to phone her up at one point and while I was having a sensible conversation with her, she had a one-sided argument shouting down the end of the phone at me like I was like I was acting, like I was swearing at her and having a go at her. So she's having a half an argument, if you get what I mean. But I'm at the end of the line going, what are you talking about? Then I cottoned on what was going on, so I hung up. So whoever that was, that play acting was, she sold that by half a telephone call. And it was actually a telephone call about me asking if Leah wanted to run Solly at training at Brentford when I was teaching there. There was no, <laughs> there was nothing going on. But she had the one-sided argument about it. And it was just one more piece of kind of evidence in the suppose. So in the end, you give up because it reached a point where I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. If I don't fight them in court, I'm perceived as not giving a shit. If I do fight them in court, I'm perceived as being the aggressor because I've got to fight that now. And there's no legal battle that's going to be nice to the kids. There was no mediation ever accepted or granted. I didn't get any information on where the kids went to school. They moved doctors and I didn't get told. When I contacted the school, they'd already been primed that I was some sort of creepy weirdo. And they wouldn't give me any information. The police turned up at my new address and issued me with a harassment order. Which I said, well, what evidence have you got for that? What harassment? Oh, we don't need any evidence. It's just a report. So what do I do with this? Will you sign it? Well, I ain't signing it. It was just literally because because somebody could. But going back to going back to the girls, the effect that that has had on them. Um, obviously, I'm here now, so I will help with everything that I can do. But there's that bit in the middle that we none of us get back and i mean that as all four of us all four people went through something that none of us can get back because of the actions of a person and i just i i just i don't care how bad your relationship falling down i don't give a shit. when you start dragging kids through courts like that and emotionally manipulate it so that you're saying they're a bad my mum did it about my dad 
not quite as bad as my ex-wife, my first wife, but enough that it formed an opinion of my dad in my head. And that's irresponsible as a parent. It's not up to us to tell our kids what to think. It's to show them how to think. It's not to teach them what to learn. It's to show them how to learn. We're not making mini us. We're making new people that need their own opinions, get their own lives, get their own story to write down and live through. It's, I took that kind of really seriously and the actions of the other person I class as selfish, 100% um, selfish. Um, yeah, there's a comment just come up. Uh, yeah, it's called parental alienation. It is. There's also other top, there's other sort of terms for it. <laughs> I don't want to get into the, the technicals of it. But that has a massive effect. Now, I'm going to sort of have a little breather and a bit of a coffee. A lot of that gets quite dark, and I know it gets dark. And you can tell by my tone, it's, it's raw. And that's 10 years, it's still raw. In that 10 years, like I said, I made contact with my eldest, Leah, after five years. Um, I'll tell you about that, actually, because I got, it came up on my phone as a message. And I'd always done what I could. I had fake Facebook accounts. I had fake YouTube accounts. I had fake Twitter accounts solely so I could keep an eye on um, them. It was the only way to do it. So I had accounts where I could keep an eye on where the kids were. Um, it was only to keep an eye on where the kids were or what they were doing. I didn't give a shit what she was up to. You were monkeys about that. I wanted to know where they were. I used to read my tarot cards for them to give me insight into how they were. Just let me know the kids are all right. Um, people at dog shows, when I used to compete, and when I was a trainer, used to come up to me and give me information on how the girls were. Um, so I had, plenty of little spies and connections and things like that but it's still not it's not the same as being able to walk up and hug your kid is it um at the couple of dog shows that i've seen and when you look at your own child and they they run towards their mother frightened all because of what one person has said none of that has got anything to do with what i've done Incidentally, the relationship actually broke down because she didn't want anything to do with me. Physically, mentally, anything. She was done. So I left. Randomly, I can't remember what it was. It was a Thursday night, nine o'clock. I can't remember what date. And I just said, I'm done with this. I'd had a conversation with her dad already that the relationship was fucked. So it didn't come as a surprise. So to act the way that they acted was just pure venom. Absolute venom. During that time as well, I met somebody else and then entered into the realms of step-parent. And that's an emotional minefield as well because you kind of feel attached because they're there, because they're the person's kids. So you're kind of obligated to help to an extent. But over time, you formulate 
a relationship as a parent, step parent, extra parent, gifted parent, bonus parent, whatever the kind of the terminology. I always said step parent, um, but I was under no illusions. I said to both the step kids, at some point you'll shout at me and go, you're not my dad, you can't tell me what to do, fuck off. Or some words to that extent. And when you do, I should just chuckle to myself. Because <laughs> that's inevitable. At some point, that's going to happen. Um, and it did. <laughs> and I laughed. But, yeah, for, you know, you then spend time technically as an emotional support for two other people's kids. But you can't kind of get to your own kids. So... In moments like Father's Day, you know, they, they would be good. They'd get me like your stepfather kind of cards and things or a barbecue set or something that was thoughtful and it was nice. But it weren't my own kids. <laughs> it's, in one respect, it's worth more. And I'm going to say this carefully. As a step parent, you can kind of pull the step parent card and kind of go nah. I'm going to pull the card I'm going to take a step back and let the parents deal with this but there's also times as a step parent you can't and you have to step up and you are the emotional support that that child needs and it doesn't matter whose kid they are they're a kid they need your help you're there so help um, so it became that I regarded myself just as the extra dad I, I was the one that they spoke to if they fell out with their boyfriend because their mum was unsympathetic and their dad was probably at work and they couldn't talk about stuff like that. Whereas I've been a life coach for 20 years. <laughs> so it's, you know, they would talk to me. So I was there for somebody else's kids while I wanted to be there for my own kids. So they kind of filled a void to an extent. Um, but it's tricky if you're a step parent and you constantly feel like you're, you're kind of one step behind you, you've got to kind of work your parental role out because i think just because you get the term step parent i mean you have to you, i don't think you're under any obligation to parent somebody else's children even if you are entering into a relationship with person if the dynamics change or they're different or the kids emotional attachment changes then you've got a role with that because you're there um you're with their well in my case you're with their mum you can't just kind of say well i only want that person i don't want everything else it's everything comes as a beautiful package and you become a bigger family um and that, that happens through generations. I mean, I've got two stepbrothers, two stepsisters. I've got three, three stepkids. <laughs> I was thinking it was a three or four. Yeah, five grandkids. So, and that's another thing, terminology. Kids will say the words they want to say. I was under, I mean, I'm only 44, the grandkids turning around and calling me granddad it's cool and it's cute and i like it but they also turn around and go alistair and they'll flick between the two sayings throughout the day or when they're here and i don't mind i don't never correct them because they're both right 
I am Alistair, I am Grandad, I am you, hey, oi. <laughs> These are all accepted terms. I, I don't want kids hung up on terminology for you know, what they can say and do things. You know, there's enough stuff going on. So as a step parent, I tip my hat to you. you you're valuable. And you know, my Mrs. Penny, it's going to be invaluable to my girls as an extra parent, the gift parent. And, and I, when you have another relationship and you've got kids from the past, it all, you have to just, it's like a snowball. It starts this big and it just grows and you just incorporate everybody into it. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I'm dad enough for everybody. So that's kind of the step parenting side of things. Um, I'm just looking at the time. I'm just conscious of the time. We're sort of like 40 minutes. I'm not 100% certain this will do an hour. Um, it's quite emotional. <laughs> certain amount of emotional turmoil. Because it's a, it's a contentious subject. And it's a subject really that will never, it'll never end. It'll never disappear. It'll never go. But at some point you have to draw a line in the sand. Um, and this is the line I drew in that I forgave everything that they'd done. And I'll tell you for why, because everything they did that was aimed at me was a lie. So all it was, was words. There was no actual physical damage, mental damage, but that, that's up to me, I can repair that. That's my own mind. I can sort that. So in a certain degree, I kind of just forgave them. It was like, you did what you did because you felt you needed to do it that way. Whether that person still thinks they did the right thing or not, don't care. It doesn't make any difference at all now. It's the effects of what you did <laughs> that, that will have a ripple effect. But maybe that was because I put so much pressure on myself as a kid. Maybe the bit I find weird, and it's something I mentioned to somebody earlier, you go through a process where you meet somebody, then you get a place or whichever kind of routine this is, you kind of get some, you find somebody, you get a house, you have kids or you get married, you got engaged. There's all these kind of tick boxes that you have to go through. Um, but nobody at any point talks about the happily ever after because it's the shortest part of that story prince meets the princess they fall in love they get the place they have the kid they live long live happily ever after what the chuff does that mean is the shortest little nonchalant we don't it just doesn't make sense and nobody prepares for that short little bit of sentence that is they live happily ever after because <laughs> it might not work like that. And in my case, it didn't. Or did it, but just not with that person. So the they was me. So they live happily ever after, but it doesn't specify that they did it together. <laughs> Random rabbit hole for you, but right. So now let's bring this up to date. Let's bring this up to now. I've now got 
the relationship with both my girls. Both my girls understand me. They've been able to pick holes in different things that they remember. They've been able to remember things that they hadn't before by triggering little memories. And we've had time to talk and work stuff out. Um, when we first locked down, to be fair, Adele came and lived with us for four months. <laughs> was it four months? It felt like longer. Yeah, it felt like longer, but I think it was about four, four and a bit months. Um, and that was that was awesome. It gave us such an opportunity to get to know each other as father and daughter again. And the same with Leah. Leah now lives here with us, and she's doing so much better. She's got work and. She's looking after her health a bit better. She just looks healthier. And that's perfect. As a parent, that's what you want. I don't want to do everything for my kids. I'm not I'm not a pushy parent. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me whether my kids want to be CEOs of a company or a road sweeper or work in a calf. I, I don't care. As long as they're smiling and they're happy doing it, I don't give a crap. I'm not driven by money. I've, I've never been bothered by how much money somebody earns as a measure of how good they are. So my girls don't need to aspire to be rich, powerful. It's not what it's about I, at all. I just want them to be happy. That's <laughs> simple as that. And with my dad, I've, because of this and the process of not being with my girls, having that, that it broke down and my Norse research and going into the kind of paganism stuff that little bit more through COVID and doing some research that I want to start um, well I have started I bought my dad for Father's Day a book like a questionnaire book and I want him to answer it so I've got something to pass on because like I said I was kept away from my dad for 10 years it's funny how things mirror actually I did sorry for those in America mirror the way the way that my mum treated my dad is not as venomous but had the same effect as what happened with my first wife he was kept from us for for years um and then it was 10 years before i got to move in and formulate a proper father-son relationship um and that's the same with my girls now because my eldest Leah, she's a grown woman well they're both grown women that was a college, but, and I, I don't want to tell them what to do. They meet boys and I kind of, I know that I'm, <clears throat> I'm quite a, I don't know what the correct political term is. I'm quite masculine <laughs> in my appearance. And I don't shy away from that. I'm a bloke. Um, and when I'm meeting the boyfriend of my daughters, they need to be that they they show me that they're capable of performing the role of being their partner their strength needs to be there their sense of character needs to be there that sense of protecting them my girls don't need protecting but if they ever need a backup they need to know that that person's got their back and it but that's just with my logic that's not how they pick their boyfriends i'm sure <laughs> but that's my logic i want my girls to, I want them to know that they're, they're safe and looked after and whatever they need, somebody's there to help them with it. And that, that's their role as their man. 
blokes are different nowadays. So it's the sense of values that a dad has <laughs> that he wants for his daughters isn't going to match because there's, there's just an age difference between us. The generations are different. Um, the, the lads nowadays are different. So sometimes I think I can come across a bit scary. <laughs> but I don't mean to. But I also don't see that as a bad thing because I think a healthy bit of respect for your your missus's dad goes a long way. Um, and I'm also of the belief that you should always ask a daughter's father for their hand. But I know that there's going to be a lot of people now that say that's really sexist because you don't belong to your dad. But I'm, I'm old school in I think it's quite a nice, it's a respectful nudge to the dad you've already formulated a relationship with his daughter that you know you're not like you've just turned up on the doorstep and he's not met you before you can have a conversation and i've had this with both both times i got married both times i spoke to the in-laws um and in the time of actually my ex-wife i actually spoke to the stepkids as well and i asked them before i asked her um i wanted to make sure everybody was happy with this snowball gaining some traction um, so yeah, what was I saying? I went off on a tangent. Asking permission. Oh yeah. So I just think it's a bit of a, it's just a gentlemanly tradition um, that you would ask your fiance's or your girlfriend's dad, you know, if that's okay to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. I think that's quite a respectful thing to say. But I understand there's lots of people out there that say it's sexist, and I, and I understand that too, and I agree with you too. And if you're in a relationship where you don't think that that's cool, then don't fucking do it. <laughs> Simple as that. Horses for courses, my friend. Yeah, unfortunately, my future father-in-law, he's already told me it was okay anyway, so it's fine. So yeah, we shared a whiskey together. Right, I'm going to kind of wrap this up, guys. I hope you've, I'm going to say enjoyed it. That's probably the wrong word. Um, like I said, this is a vlog. This is a vlog about one man losing a house, a wife, a business, his kids, his sense of self, his personality, just everything. And then we get to the point now where we've come out the other end of it. I've got the relationship back with my girls that's strong and it's good. Which is perfect and I don't need to dwell on the past stuff so although I've kind of gone through this and it has been quite dark and I've allowed myself to get into each emotional state um, for a sense of sort of trueness for you guys I love making new words up I hope the auto subtitle thing got it and I just kind of like I said it's one guy's journey through life really um, if something's resonated with you then you know put a little like feel free to put a comment if you feel that your comment needs to revolve around what I should have done then keep that to yourself because I've already done it there is no point in anybody putting a comment there or saying oh well you know you should have done this but it doesn't make any difference now we're at the end <laughs> should have would have could have doesn't make any difference at this point I can only move forward and by moving forward I've got my kids with me so that's that's the main thing so like i said this one's been quite 
quite a heavy, heavy week. Um, but in real life, it's been quite a heavy week this week. Um, like I said, I did a podcast earlier with dads, lads and kebabs. And we spoke about quite a lot of stuff on there to do with masculinity and stuff. And that's probably what I'm going to talk about next week. I'm not going to say here and now what I'm going to talk about. I've kind of got an idea of what I want to do. Um, but like I say, it won't be on Facebook. There will be no Facebook Live next week. This will all be on YouTube. Um, so it'll be live on YouTube next Wednesday at 8. Um, and then potentially I'll just share it onto Twitter. So yeah, so you need to come over onto YouTube and subscribe and hit the notification bell and all that YouTube jazz. Um, to stay informed and then I will meet you on there and then the same process is here you'll still be able to comment and interact with me live if you're there um, but failing that I should record them and then leave them there for you guys to look through um, so yeah I hope one person has heard this and thought shit that's the crap I'm going through right now drop me a message I've got no issue at all with um, somebody wanting to contact me and, and I, this is not about business either. I'm talking about just a friend contact and being able to help somebody or give somebody some advice um, as to a way to get through. If, if you're going through a crappy divorce, um, then I'm giving you the option to be able to reach out if you need to. Um, so yeah, so like I said, thank you for joining me. Um, and I will see you next Wednesday at eight o'clock on the Coffee and Coaching. So thank you very much.